Today's reading is from Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry out. And I said, What shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, Here is your God. See, the Sovereign Lord comes with power, and He rules with a mighty arm. See, His reward is with Him, and His recompense accompanies Him. He tends His flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in His arms and carries them close to His heart. He gently leads those that have young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the Spirit of the Lord, or instruct the Lord as his counsellor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him, and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge, or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy, and spreads them out like a tent to live in. 
He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of the world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the story host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Well, thank you so much for uh, being with us this morning virtually online. Um, as Josh has said, we're moving more and more towards uh, meeting together. Uh, we're having two services, so there's more room for people to come. But we're still doing this online because we realize there are some people who aren't able to come and we still can't fit everyone in. So thank you so much for uh, tuning in this way this morning. We'd love to see you in person the next time you're able to come. Uh, my name is Morris. I'm one of the leaders at Christchurch. And um, I'm going to be opening up the book of Isaiah to us this morning. If you didn't find a Bible, either on your phone or an actual paper book, uh, when we had the reading there, uh, do try and find Isaiah 49, because I'm going to go through the passage bit by bit. There's lots of little sections, and you've much more chance of keeping up with where we're going if you're looking at that as we watch. Let's pray together. We thank you, Lord, for these amazing truths about you that we get in Isaiah chapter 40. Please open up these truths to us so we can understand and know and experience your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are getting near family holiday time of year. It's not clear this year where, uh, how far we'll be able to go, but hopefully some of us will be able to get away somewhere. I wonder if you've ever had the family holiday experience of um, everybody's packed into the car, people are fractious and fighting and bad-tempered, uh, mum is driving, dad is trying to read the map, everybody's a bit annoyed with each other, and um, uh, suddenly you come over the crest of the hill and you're there, you can see the sunshine, down on the water, the cliffs, the beach, the beauty of the place that you're going, and the glory, the majesty, the beauty of the world, the excitement of the reality of seeing it at last, just quietens, everyone's, quietens everyone down. 
We're taking in. That scene in front of you of us reaches some hunger. That means our irritation, our sadness, our annoyance is all changed by the glory of what's in front of us. Well, over the next few weeks, we are going to look at this section of the book of Isaiah. And we've called it glory because our hope, as we look at this bit of Isaiah, which is just really all about what God is actually like, is that as we look at him and his glory, his majesty, his brilliance, it begins to quench some thirst, some thirst in our souls that day by day makes us fractious and irritable and unable to do the things we want to do. As we look on the glory of God, it brings that calm and that sense of peace because he's so beautiful and gracious and good. I guess in the wreckage, as it feels like, of the world at the moment, you know, we're going back to life slowly post-pandemic. But I'm finding life, and as I talk to lots of people in church, we're finding that return to life exhausting, overwhelming. We feel disregarding. We're grappling our way through life because nothing is as it was before. And we might feel like, where is God? Is he helping me as I'm trying to rebuild something out of the mess that this last 18 months has left? Well, the people who Isaiah was writing to in this bit of the book felt very much like that. They had been through a very punishing experience, an exile from their country. Their whole world had fallen apart. Now, they knew that was because they had rejected God. It was a punishment. We don't know that about the global pandemic. But probably we all look back at the last year or 15 months of the so and think, you know, I haven't really responded in the ways I could have done to help me know God better. I haven't used this opportunity to get to know him. I could have. I should have been more faithful to use this time to know God and I haven't. My Bible sits over there, still closed. And now I sit here in the wreckage of the world that I used to be in. And I feel like I'm having to pick up everything and run again, but without all the comforting routine I used to have because nothing like that is really back to normal yet. Well, God knew that those people felt that way. That's what he says to them in verse 27 of our passage today. As we had it read to them, God says to them, Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my cause is disregarded by God? God gets. We feel like we're having to pick up the pieces without him. We remember pre-pandemic, life was familiar. But do remember, actually, pre-pandemic, it wasn't like life was probably really great spiritually. You know, we haven't changed since then. Many of us back then, when things were comfortable, we weren't walking closely day by day with the Lord. And so this passage is going to offer us comfort. That's what verse, 40, verse 1 of chapter 40 says, comfort my people. But it is not the comfort of going back to the way things were. Now, as we sit in the midst of our wreckage, much of it's self-made, the comfort God offers us is that view of the sun on the sea, the view of his majesty that brings us 
comfort. Today, the Lord, the God of the Bible, who you meet in the Lord Jesus, whatever wreckage you're sitting in, he is reaching out in words of comfort about himself. Because we will find comfort, we will find strength in the glory, in the vastness of the greatness of God. And we're going to see some scenes in Isaiah 40 to 50 of how great and big and soul satisfying the Lord is. Our thirst will be satisfied. The Lord thinks if we see him, that is what will enlighten and warm and strengthen us to live in this post exile world, quenching our thirst with the glory of God. So maybe you've forgotten, with everything it feels like we've got to do, maybe you've forgotten what God is like. Well, enjoy, enjoy the sun of his glory, the warmth of that on your face again. Lift your tired eyes, feel him lending his strength to your tired limbs, feel him satisfying your thirsty soul as we just see the view of him and what he's like. And here's the first thing we see in this bit in Isaiah 40, faithlessness versus glory. Isaiah, in verse 2, hears a voice crying out. And the voice is saying to him, God, the Lord, is on his way to see you. Make a straight path, clear a route. The Lord is going to arrive, and when he does, his glory is going to be revealed. Of course, if God is as he has been described in Isaiah 1 to 39, this is actually a terrifying rather than a comforting prospect. God has brought his glorious, burning, holy presence to this city, Jerusalem, Isaiah is in, before. And the result has been that people's darkness and sin has been uh, consumed and destroyed. They've been exiled. Well, here's round two. A voice says to Isaiah, make ready a way because the Lord is coming. God's coming again. His glory is going to be revealed. A terrifying thought. And then the voice cries to Isaiah again in verse 3. Uh, Pass on a message to everyone, would you, before I get there? And Isaiah says, what's the message? Well, here's the message. All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Great. So the great, holy, burningly holy, majestic God is on his way. Here's the memo to read in advance. Before I arrive, I want you to know, I know your faithfulness is rubbish. I know your faithfulness to me, your God, is zero. It's like a flower of the field. It blooms and then it's gone. I think that's a brilliant picture of my, a very accurate picture of my faithfulness to God. When I'm at church or praying or with my Christian friends, my faithfulness to God, it blooms out. Wow, I love God. I want to serve him. The next day in work or with my children or way down by life, it's gone. It's faded like a flower in the field. That's not real faithfulness at all. So there can be a delight at the thought of someone coming to visit. You know, a faithful husband whose wife has been away on a trip waits excitedly for her to come back because he's been faithful. If he's been a faithless husband, if he's going to have to have his faithlessness exposed, 
That's a fearsome visit, isn't it? Especially if he gets a text in advance from his wife saying, I know all about it. We'll talk about it when we get there. But that's the memo God sends through Isaiah in advance. The glorious Lord is coming and in advance he wants you to know he knows about how weak and changeable and lazy and careless and how not bothered about him you are. And he is powerful. He could just blow on you and you'd be gone. The setup is not great, is it? And yet, God says to verse 9, gather the type of people who bring good news. Find some people who are good news spreaders. All right. And get them to go and stand on the hill overlooking the wreckage of the city that's already been broken by God's judgment. Find some people who are good news. But, but this isn't good news, is it? God, you're coming in majesty and we, you know you've been faithless to us. No, find a good news person. Get them to stand on the hill and look over the city that has experienced judgment, that has no faithfulness or godliness to offer God. Get them to stand over and say, good news. Why? Well, verse 10, see, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm, but see, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. So he's arriving, but not with a sword or a hammer or a tank. He's bringing a reward to give. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Well, would you look at that? The mighty God comes to his people, but he's carrying with him not something to bring punishment, but something to bring reward and goodness. This glorious God, the one who judges the whole world, to whom the people in the world are like blades of grass in a field and about whom he knows they have no faithfulness to him at all. When he comes, what he wants to do is bend all of that strength to tending his people like a shepherd. He bends his mighty arm, which can crush rebels, but he bends that mighty arm to pick up his battered and bruised people and loves them. He carries them close to his heart. You know, the heart of the only God in heaven, the only God who made everything and rules everything, who is enthroned above us all, the only glorious, self-sufficient being that there is, when he comes to us through his son Jesus, his heart is to pick us up and carry us close to his heart. He even, I love this verse, he gently leads those who have young. He walks closely to you to lead you, even if you're worried about your children, as many of us are. So he comes to show us his glory, his majesty, his brilliance. What is so glorious about him that we can feel satisfied, feel the sun in our face in the midst of our fractious lives? Here's God's glory his strength, his might, which is endless, is used to pick up and carry the smallest, the weakest, 
the most worried people. There are different ways of carrying your children, if you've got them or if you've ever looked after children. There's ways of carrying children, isn't there? It's like, oh, you're about to stick your finger in the plug. I am lifting you up to put you somewhere else, carry you out of danger. But there's also that carrying where you just pick up a child who you love and you just want to hold them and smell their hair, feel their little hands going round your neck, to enjoy them, to carry them close to your heart. And that's why God comes near his people, so he can carry them that way. And notice, just in case you're thinking, well, that can't possibly mean me as one of God's people, because I'm too messed up, I'm too weak, I'm too sinful. I'd be disgusting for God to pick up, to treasure, to cuddle, to hold close. For the Almighty God to do that for me, he's too far and too different and I'm too faithless and weak. Remember, he already announced that to you before he arrived. He said, before we get started on this picking up and caring for and leading, I made it clear first that I know. I sent you the text. I know. I know your faithfulness just comes and goes. You're fickle and changeable and weak. I said that first. So before you start trying to wriggle away because you're too smelly and wrong and you've failed too many times, that's why I sent you that memo before I arrived. God marches into the wreckage, the brokenness in strength, not to crush and condemn, but to give out rewards, generosity, gifts, goodness. The goodness of being gathered up close to the God who made everything and held by him close to his heart. And before you try and say, stop, not me, it can't be me, remember the pre-meeting message. I get you are faithless and weak and you feel like you don't achieve much. That's why this is not an Ofsted inspection. I'm coming to you to reward you and hold you and love you just because that's what I, God, am like. I want to give you the embrace of the eternal God throughout your whole life. So the world has fallen apart. We sit in the wreckage, many of us, wreckage we have contributed to. And Isaiah discovers there's one solid thing. You know, our faithfulness comes and goes. Our lives, they just come and go. But there's one thing that is eternal and doesn't change, the word of God. But what is that message from God that never changes? It's this, that God comes to you through the person of Jesus in the power of his Holy Spirit and offers to use his endless strength to gather you up, to bring you close to his heart, to lead you through your life. And remember, this is an endless, unchangeable message that your love for him comes and goes. He knows that. But it doesn't change this eternal word that he comes in strength to gather and love you. Maybe you never knew that. Maybe you thought when God comes to us, he comes to sort of work out how obedient we've been. Give us marks out of 10. Or maybe 
you did know what I've just said, but you've kind of forgotten it. It sits in your life, this eternal unchanging truth about God and what he's like, but it sits in your life like a sort of vaguely remembered dream from the past. Like your last trip to the beach. You have a rough idea of that sense of the ocean and the smell of sun cream and the sun on your face. But you're not enjoying that glory anymore. Maybe mulling on your faithlessness and failure. And Isaiah 40 says, come and enjoy and reflect and worship and drink from this eternal unchanging truth about God, the only thing that doesn't change, that he bends his strength to hold his people. Well, here's the second thing we see. The Lord versus everything. When we've just been to see my parents recently, we had a discussion about my parents' cat. And uh, one of our children said to my mum, what happened to your cat? And my mum said, oh, well, he got very tired and old and we took him to the vet. And so she said he wasn't capable of eating anymore. He's going to get very ill. So the kindest thing was to put him to sleep. And when the child said, oh, so the vet put him to sleep and then when he woke up, he felt better. And I thought, mm, I can't protect you any longer from the truth that vets kill cats. That sometimes vets put cats to death, no matter how cute you think they are. There comes a point, doesn't there, where even as the best parent, you can't protect your children anymore. Even as the best friend, you can't stop your friend going through a difficult thing anymore. Even as the best spouse, you can't protect your spouse from bad things that happen to them anymore. Maybe you feel that way about God. Oh, you know, it's lovely to have this offer that God will gather me to him. Lovely to have this offer to be carried through life by someone. But being guided through life by someone is only wonderful and teach until you reach the limits of what they're able to protect you from. Well, God asks a series of questions. They're rhetorical questions, really. Questions we can't answer to underline something. And the thing he's underlining is here, whatever you think you're being attacked by, the God who gathers you up is better. He says, do you understand? Have you got a clue, got any sort of sense of who it is who is offering to give himself to carry you, faithless people. It's not someone who will ever reach the end of the help he is able to give. He will never be flummoxed. He will never be overcome. There will never be answers that he doesn't have. Who is the one, he says, who knows exactly how much water is in the sea, who knows the measurements of the whole of space, who knows the weight of the mountains? You know, he says, I know the cleverest human helper you have will in the end reach the end of their knowledge, but there's someone who won't. And that someone is the one who wants to help and gather you. Who is the one, God says, the only one whose wisdom is measureless? Who is the only person who needs no advice or help? Who is the person you know who will never be at the end of what they can think of to do, who will never be lost for ideas? That someone, 
the Lord of heaven longs to lead you through your life. You know, no matter how much another person tries to help us, there's always someone more powerful who can ruin it, isn't there? There's no point trusting, you know, your head of department if your head teacher will mess it up. There's no point relying on your friends if the government says you're not allowed to see your friends. But who is there to whom the nations, countries, governments, leaders are a drop in the bucket? Well, there is someone like that. And that someone wants to lift you up and carry you. Maybe you're thinking, yeah, I've tried religion. Didn't do it for me. I tried Christianity and church and being a good person, mindfulness, spirituality, meditative prayer. I just didn't get the help that this bit of the Bible is describing. And that could be because you're comparing the real God who helps in this passage to a God you've made up, an idol. You know, spirituality, that's vague and without personality, it might help you for a bit. But I know, God knows it's not enough. You need a real, personal God who's actually there, who can really do things. Not just, you know, a statue that someone's made, an aid to prayer. And a real, endlessly powerful, personal God is offering to be in your life and carry you, and guide you. And God is saying to them, as he's saying to us, you know this already, don't you? Look at verse 21. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He, the one who helps you through life, who longs to gather you up to himself, he brings princes to nothing and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. Have you not heard from the beginning that the God we are talking about sits above everything else in the world that's worrying you? That the endless billions of light years of space are stretched out by him like the canvas of a tent. The universe is always expanding apparently. And the God, so the God who wants you to know him is always still stretching, spreading the universe out. Everyone who's powerful can be brought down by him. Human empires come and go to him like flowers of the field, dispatched into history. So listen, God is on his way towards you. Before he gets here, he wants to settle something. He knows that you're unfaithful and weak. And he arrives over the brokens of a ruin, broken ruins of a world, a life messed up by rejecting him and gives only grace, welcome, picks us up and brings him right close to him. But let's be clear, the one who is offering to do that is the one who knows and rules everything. The one who is more powerful than any human power. Nothing like the vague spiritual sense, the type of God we might think of when we say God. Remember from the beginning, you've known about God as the one who spreads out the hugeness of space as a tent. 
He's been here while all the people we've ever known have just come and gone like flowers of the field. He is the one coming to you with overflowing goodness. There's a verse I love, Romans 8, 33, that sums this up. It says this, Who will bring any charge against whom those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Can you see what it's saying there? It's saying, who can have a go at you? Because God, who is the only one who sits about everything, is the one who says, I'm going to pick you up and carry you and look after you, justify you, take care of you. Who gets to say he's wrong? Do you get to say that? Oh no, sorry, I'm not good enough. Does someone else get to say, oh sorry, you're not good enough? No. Who can bring any charge against the person picked up and looked after by that God? Nobody. Yes, we're sitting in a wreck. Yes, it's a wreck that we've probably contributed to. But we are gathered and helped and led by the one, only one who is able to condemn us. And his mighty power is ranged for us. That's the next thing we see. God versus my weakness. If you're really still struggling to see that God can help you, here's a very practical plan. It's there um, in verse, lost my place. It's there in verse 26. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Here's his practical tip. If you really think what you're facing is overwhelming and God can't help you to do whatever it is you've got to do for him in the world, look at the stars. See them come out. Does the God who puts them there have trouble with anything? And you know all this. Have you not heard? We sing it when we're allowed to sing in church every week. In fact, it's interesting, even people who hate what we believe know this is what we think about God and they think it's ridiculous. This web website, Atheist Universe or something, tweeted this the other day, saying, oh, what Christians believe is like in the vastness of space, this is God's favourite star and this is God's favourite galaxy and this is God's, fav God's favourite tiny planet. Ha ha ha, how ridiculous that you could believe that. No, Christian. I saw, so we retweeted and said, yes, this, but unironically. That really is what we think. People think it's crazy, but it's crazy, wonderfully true. Look at the stars. It was Coldplay who said, look at the stars, see how they shine for you. For them, that was just like a bit of romantic flim flam, but actually Christians believe it's true. The stars actually do shine for you to help you trust Jesus with the sense of how big and amazing the God is who's on your side. So we are tired. The Lord gets that and says, yes, you're tired, but you know what? I'm not tired. And you know this. Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. This is not new information if you've listened to Jesus for any length of time. The God who holds you close who is not put off by your failure, never gets tired and fed up. In fact, he does the opposite. He lends his strength to the weary. 
God isn't looking for heroes, spiritual giants who can head out and do great things. The gospel in the world is not growing amongst strong, important people who are able to do everything by themselves. It's growing amongst poor and oppressed people. Why? Because this is the offer of the gospel, to lend his strength to the weary. The only qualification is to know that you need him. And he raises those people up to fly on wings like eagles. What an amazing picture. When we are tired, unable to do any more, we go to the God who never sleeps or runs out of energy and he lifts us up. A wonderful picture God uses all the way through the Bible to rescue his people. He lends his strength to us in a way that means we can fly, we, can, we really can do whatever it is we need to do in this wreck of a world. So be wary of Christian heroes who write books about their exploits. Look for and learn from the ones who say, I'm tired and incapable and weak and faithless. And every day I need God to arrive with his endless strength to lend it to me. Be wary of a faith that says you can be or should be successful or rich or competent or great. God lends his strength to the weary. His kindness flows to us, but only downhill. What a beautiful view of the glory of God to satisfy our souls. But we get to this beautiful view through a gate that was right there in verse 1. As I started by saying this, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord hand double for all her sins. This amazingly comforting, tender word of God's strength that's now on our side if we come and ask for his help. All that beautiful view comes through this small gate of her sin being paid for. You see, the glorious God being strong and powerful and making everything, that's bad news. While all the bad things I've done are still stacked up between me and him. His greatness and his glory and his majesty is a threat to me while I'm still his enemy. But now God says the only one who can make a judgment against you is the one on your side. Comfort, comfort, because your sin has been paid for. The comfort we are going to get from knowing God is not going to come from returning to the life we had before all this. But living in this truth, that if you're a Christian, if you're trusting Jesus, he has completed the hard service for you. Our comfort, the gateway to knowing this glory of God is a comforting truth is that Jesus paid for our sin in his death. Sometimes we're used to thinking about that just in terms of personal forgiveness. You know, I got things wrong and now I'm right. That's a wonderful truth. Isaiah calls us to more. He says, don't stand at the gate just thinking sort of isn't forgiveness good. He says, come through the gate because if your sin's paid for, then all of this glory of the majestic God loving you is here for you. You know, in live church, 
we'll express that dependence on Jesus by actually eating and drinking him, taking into our very selves the truth that he has died for us. And that's not just about personal cleansing. It's a small door to this amazing view that now our sins paid for, the personal, powerful, incomparable God lends us his strength. Participating in Jesus, bringing into myself his payment for my sin, propels me through the gate into this goodness of God who could not be bigger, picking me up and carrying me. So as we make our way through the wreckage, as we try and pick up some sort of life, keep looking at the sun on the sea. Let the glory settle and satisfy and strengthen your soul for whatever rebuilding in this broken world you need to do. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you speak these words of comfort to us. And for many of us, we do know and we have heard, but we are finding them hard to get these words into our daily reality. And we pray for the help of your spirit in that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the God of Isaiah 40 is the God we meet in Jesus. And so... We're going to sing a song now which is all about these two truths about Jesus being always true. He's entirely strong and completely kind. <laughs> 